Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. And again, welcome to Discovery Point Church. Uh, we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you both here in the, in the house and here online. Um, will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for an opportunity to gather together again today to hear from you. And Lord, our prayer is that uh, you would give us ears to hear, that you would prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. Uh, We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, know, we've started a new series uh, entitled Timely Questions. And this series is designed to address those questions that you sometimes ask us that we can't answer in 30 seconds. And so we're going to take some time over the next few weeks to answer some of those questions, some some very difficult questions, mind you, that you have brought forward to us. And last week we started uh, with, is God sovereign? And Pastor Ron did an outstanding job of helping us to see that God is indeed sovereign, that he is Lord over everything everything. And there is nothing that happens without his permission. And so we saw last week that God is sovereign. Today, however, we're going to look at, can we trust the scriptures? Have you ever thought about that? Can we trust the word of God? And you know, uh, I was looking at the calendar. Christmas is almost here. We're, we're, we are halfway through, we're past halfway through September which means you're going to hear Christmas music pretty soon and Christmas trees and all the toys and everything that goes along with that. I just wish the weather would hurry up and catch up with it, you know. (laughs) But in thinking about Christmas, every Christmas season, we see these these TV programs, we, we see news articles, we see magazine articles that call into question Jesus, who he is, his his birth, Was he a real person? Was he a historical person? Is the Bible true? And we see these articles that begin to place these seeds of doubt in our mind. And it seems to permeate the whole culture. Rodolfo Galvan Estrada III published an article last December. And his article was entitled, Was Jesus Really Born in Bethlehem? Why the Gospels Disagree? over the circumstances of Christ's birth. And in this article, uh, Mr. Mr. Estrada gives us some reasons why we may not be able to trust the Scripture. For example, he says the New Testament Gospels do not agree about the details of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Some do not mention Bethlehem or Jesus' birth at all. And that tends to give us a little bit of doubt. He goes on to say, The Gospel of Luke includes no flight to Egypt, no paranoid King Herod, no murder of children, and no wise men visiting baby Jesus. Jesus is born in a manger. And you start to to read this article and you begin to get these doubts of, well, how can we trust the scripture if this is so? He even quotes another scholar, Raymond Brown, uh, who says uh, that the two narratives are not only different, this is Luke and Matthew, They are contrary to each other in a number of details. And he seems to suggest that there's a contradiction within the Scripture. And if there is a contradiction within the Scripture, how dare we trust it? 
He goes on and he says this. He said, what makes it more difficult is that neither the other Gospels, that of Mark and John, mentions Jesus' birth or his connection to Bethlehem. And in his conclusion, Mr. Estrada states this. He says, regardless of whether these claims are, were accepted at, the time to be at that time to be true, they shaped a person's ethnic identity, political status, and claims to honor. And I got to thinking after reading this article, what does Jesus' ethnic identity and political status have to do with his birth? And if you were to read this as a non-Christian, you would come away saying, well, gee, we can't even trust the Bible because it's full of contradictions. But is that so? Can we trust the scriptures? Can we trust the word of God? Is it true? Or are we simply here just kind of going through a ritual, hoping that we've been redeemed, hoping that we'll, we've been saved, that hoping one day we might make it to heaven? Well, that raises an interesting question. Every culture on earth has some idea of a deity, of God. Well, where does that come from? Where does our idea and our knowledge of God come from? And as Christians, I think that's a very important question, where it relates to the scriptures. Well, we know about God from two different ways. The first way is through what's called general revelation general revelation. And this is what the Bible talks about, for example, in Psalm, um, Psalm 19.1, where the psalm says for the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. David says that the heavens declare God's glory, right? And their expanse is declaring the, what he has created. I like how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Paul says this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Here it is, verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. How? Verse 20. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. And Paul says that all of creation screams that God exists, that there is a God. Well, there are lots of gods, Rod. There are lots of gods that are worshipped. There are lots of gods around the world. Can we trust the Christian God? And how do we know what we know about him? Well, there's another type of revelation, and that's called special revelation. And that's where God decides to invade time and history and interact with his creation, namely humanity. And he tells his, his prophets that he's sent to write things down. For example, in Exodus chapter 34, uh, Moses is on Mount Sinai. He is spending 40 days with God, receiving the law. And look at what the Bible records. Beginning in verse 27, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets 
the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God told Moses to write this down, and guess what? We have those very Ten Commandments today, the very thing that God wanted us to know about. Amen? In Isaiah, uh, God warns Judah not to entrust themselves to Egypt. And listen to what he tells Isaiah in, in, in chapter 30, verse 8. He says, now go, write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. And God has told Isaiah to go and write to Judah what is going to befall them if they put their trust in Egypt. And that way, and we have that record today in the book of Isaiah. I love what, uh, what God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 2. Talking to Judah again, God tells Jeremiah this. He says, take a scroll and write on it all the words which I have spoken to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah and concerning all the nations from the day I first spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. God tells Jeremiah, write down everything that I told you. And if you want to know what God told Jeremiah, go read Jeremiah. And you will see what God has told him to tell Israel, what God has told him to tell Judah. And so God has intervened in the lives of men so that we can know who he is and what he expects of us. But what does God say about himself? What's he say about his, his character? What does he say about who he is? And I think this is important today with, with all the misinformation out there. What does God say about himself? Well, in Numbers chapter 23, beginning in verse 19, God says this. Uh, Mo Moses writes this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of a man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Moses says, God is not like us. He's not like our children. God does not lie. And if God does not lie, that means that he always tells the truth. Amen? That he always tells the truth. Matter of fact, God tells Samuel, as he is, has judged Saul, he says this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And we learn here, God does not lie, and he does not change his mind. When he declares something, it's done. He doesn't second-guess himself. He doesn't waver. When he says something, it is done. When he decrees something, it is sure to happen. And if you think God doesn't know, uh, in Isaiah chapter 46, listen to this. God says this to Isaiah. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors, talking to Israel. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, God says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. 
I have planned it, surely I will do it. Did you hear what God said? God says that I declare the end from the beginning. I was watching a football game earlier today, and um, although I didn't see the end of it, it would have been cool to know the end before it even started. That way I wouldn't waste my time watching it. But God says that he declares the end from the beginning. The idea is simply this. God knows everything that is going to happen, period, end of sentence. He knows the what. He knows the hows. He knows the whys. He even knows the what ifs. What if I married Sue instead of Sally? God knows the answer to those things. And if God knows everything and he tells someone to write what's going to happen, I think we can take it to the bank. But God says he's, a, he's not, a, not a man that he should lie. He declares the end from the beginning. He doesn't change his mind. But what's he say about his word? Because we're talking about the scripture. What does God say about his word? Well, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 12, verse 6, that the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried on a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. In other words, God's word is absolutely pure, without error. Amen? The other psalmist, Psalm 119, says this in, in verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. He says that all that God has said is truth period. End of sentence. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. I love what Isaiah says about God's word. He says this. He says, the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon them. Surely the people are grass. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, sorry, the grass withers, verse 8, the flower fades, but the word of our God does what? It stands forever. Do you know when forever ends? It never ends. And so God's word, which is true and it is truth, it will stand forever. It will stand for all eternity. And I love what Paul tells Timothy as some encouragement. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says this, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. God's word is truth. Everything that God has said is true. And God has told men that he has sent these prophets to tell us and to give us his truth, to give us his commands. And so we can trust the word of God because we can trust the God who sent his word. And we can trust the men who God spoke to to write his word because God told them what to write. But what about Jesus? What is Jesus? How, how does he view the scriptures? You ever thought about that? How does Jesus view his word? I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Greg. You know, as a, as a Jewish boy, Jesus grew up in the first century. 
a first century Jewish educational system would have been three phases of education, and it's primarily around the Word of God. When you think about Jesus and the Scriptures, understanding His relationship to the Scriptures brings validity and value into our own lives as His followers. So it's probably without question that Jesus had the Torah memorized, the first five books of the Old Testament. It is likely, it is likely that Jesus had most of the rest of the Old Testament memorized as well, according to the first century Jewish system. We know that over 80 times in the Gospels, from 70 different chapters in the Old Testament and 24 different books, Jesus quotes the Scriptures. Jesus had this healthy, valuable, intense relationship with the Scriptures. The the Scriptures mattered to Him. They they were important to Him, and it's important that that you and I also consider our devoted relationship to God's Word. I, I don't see it a lot in the lives of believers. It feels like we're waning and we're losing our passion for God's Word. And when we think about Jesus, just a couple things, we see that Jesus verbally declares this truth. So, for example, in uh, John chapter 17, verse 7, there Jesus in the high priestly prayer. This is actually uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer proper. Uh, In this prayer, notice what Jesus says. He says, sanctify them by your, say it with me, truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification means to take something that is mundane and, and set it apart for a sacred purpose. So what if the, the people of God, right, what if those, those who are following Jesus understood that it is in the Scriptures that we understand our sacred purpose? Wouldn't we engage it with more passion and more intentionality if we understood that we are sanctified by God's Word? But I want to talk about this word logos here that that is used in the passage. Logos, when he talks about sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. The word, word is logos. Kind of has three different expressions in the New Testament. One is just, it's kind of a general expression. In other words, it means like a, a word spoken, something said, pretty general in nature. But it also has this idea of a special revelation that Pastor Rod just mentioned that God does in our world. There's these special revelation. And so we see that in in the book of Mark chapter 7, I think it's verse 33, where the Scripture talks about the Word of God. So this special revelation would be a reference to God's Word. Then there is the unique revelation of this word logos, a direct reference to Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14 Scripture says that that Jesus come, He dwelt among us, we beheld His glory, the glory as the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. The, The Logos, the living Word, the divine expression of that Word walking among us. So Jesus declared that this Word is truth. But not only that, He demonstrated it with His life. So for example, at the beginning of His ministry in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And as he made his way into that wilderness, if you're familiar with that part of the, of the, of the Bible, you begin to understand that there's this intense uh, showdown, if you will, right between the devil and Jesus. And Jesus immediately goes to God's Word in his defense against that temptation. So at the beginning of his ministry, 
Jesus uses God's Word. Right after that, he begins to read from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue. So he valued this Word. And then we see at the end of Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 24 that Jesus, toward the end of his earthly ministry, values this Word again. So in Luke chapter 24, it's going to be on the screen, verse 25 through 27. This is Jesus speaking to two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Notice what he says. And he said to them, O foolish ones, say that with me, O foolish ones. They were having a tough day, and it's like, wait a minute, hey, give us a break, right? They were having a tough day. This is the day of the resurrection. He is just resurrected from the dead. They are convinced that the whole thing was a hoax, but no, no, no. Jesus says, you are foolish. Notice why he says foolish ones. He says, you are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I want you to see that. Foolish. You guys are foolish. Why? You're slow to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, verse 27. He, he gives them like a, a three-year uh, seminary degree in one sentence. Notice what he says. He says, and beginning with Moses, the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He is demonstrating the power of the scriptures in regard to himself. If we go a little further in Luke chapter 24, now he's with his disciples. Notice what he says beginning in verse 44 and 45. Jesus is with his disciples now. Notice what he says. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Pay attention. That everything written about me where? In the law of Moses, the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Can you imagine showing up to your small group and Jesus is leading it? You're like, this is going to be good, right? He opened their minds to understand the Scripture. These two examples, and the Scripture is full of these examples, is that Jesus trusted in the Scriptures, and if He trusted in the Scriptures, shouldn't you and I? Shouldn't we value the Scriptures as Jesus valued the Scriptures, trust the Scriptures as He trusts the Scriptures? The evidence for biblical authenticity and authority is overwhelming. I love Pastor Rod begin this message with this a little bit of this idea. There's contradictions. There's doubt. And that's the enemy's work, right? We see that immediately in the book of Genesis. It's his work. But, folks, across the board, historical, archaeological, textual, prophetic, this word will stand on its own. It is authentic. It is authoritative. It isn't the truth. It just doesn't contain the truth. It is the truth. God's Word. Let me give you one quick example of the prophetic reliance of God's Word. In 1963, some of you might have been around then, some of us others not around, Peter Stoner, a science professor at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, he did an extensive research project on the mathematical probabilities of various Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus as the Messiah. Upon completion of his research, 
Peter Stoner submitted his figures for a review to the Committee of the American Scientific Affiliation, and upon examination, that group verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material that he presented. Josh and Sean McDowell quote Peter Stoner in their book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and here's the quote. We find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies. Let me stop you there just for a second. It is likely that Jesus fulfilled, depending on the nuance of language, some 300 prophecies. That's pretty likely, 300. This study that I'm telling you about, the portion that I'm speaking about, is talking about eight prophecies. What is the probability that Jesus fulfilled just eight prophecies in Stoner's work? He goes on to say, well, what's this look like down to the present time that these prophecies could be fulfilled, eight of them, in one person? It is tenth to the seventeenth power. That is a one with 17 zeros, eight prophecies. What that means is this, is that that is one and 100 quadrillion that eight prophecies could have actually come true in Jesus. Stoner goes on and he uses an example. He says, suppose that we took the state of Texas, and in the state of Texas, suppose that that we took silver dollars and we laid them across the entire state of Texas. And we didn't just lay them across the state of Texas. Those silver dollars were actually two feet high across the entire state. Are you with me? Stoner then suggests take one of those silver dollars, put some type of unique mark on that silver dollar, a check, a star or something, blindfold a man and tell that man he has one shot at finding that silver dollar. That is exactly, that is exactly Stoner's argument to say that it is the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing those eight prophecies and having them come true in one man, the person of Jesus. It's eight prophecies. There are hundreds of prophecies concerning Christ. So maybe the question isn't, can we trust the Scriptures? Maybe that's not the question at all. Maybe the question is, do we trust the Scriptures? Maybe that's a more poignant question for us to consider. Not can it be trusted, because maybe that's our argument. Well, I want to trust it. I'm not sure I can trust it. Actually, maybe we are sure we can trust it. We just don't want to trust it. Because if I want to trust it, now I've got to align my life with God's Word. Let me ask you, what is your current relationship to God's Word? Right now, right now, what is your current relationship? to God's Word? What's your attitude toward the Scriptures? Healthy, grateful, intentional, or is it a little more along the lines of apathetic, indifferent? How how do you view the Scriptures? Are are you delighted when you get the chance to engage the Scriptures, or is there doubt? Is there disdain for God's Word? Our lives testify to what we believe about this book. There's no getting away around it. Our lives testify to that. 
The strongest people that I've ever met in the faith have had a healthy relationship with God's Word. Healthy relationship. Spurgeon said this, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. It's a video of a group of Chinese believers who for the first time in their lives, they're getting their hands on the Scriptures. And it shows how important that was to them, what, what, what they thought about God's Word, how much they loved God's Word. What about you? What about me? What, what's, what's my relationship to God's Word? Indifferent, apathetic, valuable, important? Years ago, we had the chance to be involved in some work in the Middle East, and the work was going into labor communities, working specifically with, with South Asian laborers who were working in the Middle East, and we began to go into labor communities and share God's Word. But part of the training going into that labor community was how you treated God's Word when you entered into that labor community. Talking about men from various religions, Pastor Rod mentions everybody has a concept of God. And so as you enter that labor community, part of the training was be careful how you handle God's Word in front of these men. Be extra careful what you do with this Bible. Have you ever found yourself looking for your Bible and it's underneath the passenger seat in your car? I have. Have you ever taken God's Word and and, and not intentionally by no means, but thought, well, well, it is what it is. One of the rules in labor life community ministry was you never, ever, ever put your Bible down on the ground, ever. It's disrespect to put God's Word on the ground. That was just one of the many nuances that they had in training God's Word. Here we show up from the West, we're like, we got this. They're like, no, 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 no. These men value the Scriptures, and you should value it as well. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I forget what I read. Anybody else? You're like, boy, I, that's, I think that was pretty good, but I'm not sure what I just read. <laughs> Anybody else have that problem? You might need to grab a children's Bible, and I'm not teasing, right? The picture sometimes help. It's been, I, I don't comprehend well, but uh, years ago, a buddy of mine, I was telling him that. I'm like, man, I, I, I can read the Bible, but, man, I just forget. He recommended doing this. This is a practical application around God's Word. He says, read less, but read it more often. In other words, take a, a section, a chapter, a paragraph of Scripture and read it for seven days straight and then move on to the next section. And, and that's how I really learned to read the Scriptures. That helps me comprehend. It helps me see things differently. It helps me see things more. So our prayer is that can you trust the Scriptures? And we're not even scratching the surface on this conversation, right? There's many great writings out there. There's many great research. We're not even scratching the surface. My hint and my, 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 my thought is I don't think we need to scratch the surface. I think the people of God just need to be serious about His Word. And just let's get back into the Word. Let's be people of the Word across the board. Let me pray for you before we close out. As you take just a moment and bow your head, let me just encourage you. Maybe it's been a while since you've really, really, really either valued or taken time and set time aside to be in the Scriptures. 
and again, I'm kind of from the the viewpoint this weekend is that I think most of us have a have a conviction that God's word is true and we can trust it. Maybe we've just drifted away from it in many ways. So, Father, I pray that those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we will get back to the Scriptures in new and fresh and intentional ways, knowing that Jesus Himself was a student of the Old Testament Scriptures, using them, memorizing them, relying on them in so many ways in His earthly life and ministry. So as you are here hearing this message or watching this message, man, I just encourage you to get back to the Scriptures, reading them, maybe memorizing, studying, journaling, letting God speak to you through His inspired Word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.